Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back for your favorite weekly podcast. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 397, and we're recording live on Monday, January 7th. For most of us, that means it's back to work and back to school and just back to regular uh, life. So, uh, Aubriana, how are you? I'm good. I uh, survived a family-filled weekend, fourth birthday party for my daughter, and... Um... And then, uh, yeah, it was back to reality this morning. Um, and of course, school's back in session, so like the school buses are out and there's more traffic back on these Atlanta roads. Um, and then just gearing up to head to CES tomorrow. So, um, you know, it's just nonstop back to back, but it's all positive things and starting this year off with like a rush, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it'll be interesting. I've got to, uh, I had a pretty light weekend just, uh, kind of chilling out sort of de-decorating from Christmas and um you know just trying to get everybody back into the routine and you know getting ready for school and you know making sure they got their lunches packed and all that kind of stuff the usual stuff right uh that's just normal routine and then I've got to uh hit the Toronto traffic this afternoon to go downtown because I'm back in uh fundraising mode for my new startup so there you go <laughs> <laughs> so yes i'm looking f forward to the traffic not um of uh, of that and we're expecting it, it uh it was like beautiful like warm on the weekend and then it dropped like temperature wise uh overnight so now we're back into the minus uh category it's still Ooh. like clear there's no snow on the ground it's all that but it's just cold so anyhow yeah, though we were very, we've been very thankful for the last two days of sun because we had a lot of showers. I was feeling like, you know, like Seattle, just rain, rain, gray, you know, misty rain all the time. So I am thankful for some sunshine, that is for sure. But we have a pretty good show. We do. I'll let you uh, kick it off. Three industry news yeah. stories, three member news stories. I was supposed to have a guest, but we pushed that out one week. So uh, you can look forward to that next week. All yeah. right. Well, this is uh, more of an announcement, but Philips 66 and Honda are teaming up and they're partnering up with their in-car payments. Um, so they want to do like an in-vehicle fuel integration app where if you have a Honda and then you have the dashboard there, um, that you can just pay for your, your gas from right there within the car. And this would integrate with Philips 66, 76, and Kanoko locations. Um, so just to be clear, you're using like the Philips 66 apps in the Honda cars on the dashboard. Um, on the in-dash like uh, infotainment system but this is nice I mean the idea of just like filling up and not having to even swipe your card or you know everything just be paid for right there I think is great um, it also allows the drivers to find like the nearest locations where they can do this and things of that nature um, and this is kind of you know this isn't necessarily a new thing that they you know Honda's been thinking about this for a while because about a year ago they announced that they were partnering up with um, Alibaba Group um, auto navy business to create these types of services for connected cars so you know they want people to be able to do like reservations conduct payments using alipay different things like that so uh, there's not any details in terms of like when everything's going to roll out when it's going to be ready but obviously this is something that's been on honda's mind and what i like about this is i think we've seen you know we've seen some um of the higher tiered cars certainly talk about doing this but you know honda is probably like right there 
um, in terms of price point with like what we see maybe from a Ford, right? Uh, for some of the Fords and the Ford obviously is very forward thinking as well. But I think that some of the other cars that are in the same um, price point and price category just are not really as forward thinking as these two are so far. That may not be true. I mean, but in terms of like these types of announcements that we've been hearing from them and what we've seen, I know we've had like Ford speak at um, some of our past uh, retail loco and things of that nature. So we've heard about, you know, what they're doing in the connected car and everything. And so it's nice to see something. I mean, Honda's a great car, you know, it has such great uh, resale value. And so, you know, doing something that's kind of like longer term in terms of integrating these apps, um, I think is smart. And what I like about that is that, you know, I think when you think about like the, the dash system that used to be in the cars previously, it was very antiquated because you had to have like a disc for the nav system and you had to update that disc and it wasn't anything that was connected. And so it got outdated really quickly. Whereas this, you know, you've got apps and you've got something that has connectivity. So therefore they can be updated. The software can be, um, you know, renewed when it's time and, and you can provide those updates as necessary. So hopefully it's something that will be a little bit more timeless, but I like the direction that this is going. Um, and I like that Honda and Philip 66 are thinking about this. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this speaks to a bigger trend that we're seeing, which is, uh, a, a lot more, um, sort of using the telematics capabilities of a lot of these vehicles in advanced, um, software and connectivity that you're talking to, uh, to enable these types of services. And, you know, we've talked in the past about things like OnStar with GM, um, and the whole concierge aspect of that. Um, the, a few weeks ago, maybe more than a few weeks ago, maybe about, I don't know, 10 weeks ago, something like that. We talked about, uh, an integration between Buick and Yelp. Um, where you could, um, you know, find in the in-car navigation system in a Buick, uh, you know, find restaurants, make reservations, all that type of stuff. And so in a, in a similar way, I think this is all about, um, it, you know, sort of improving and simplifying um, tasks uh, for people uh, and removing barriers. Um, because the reality is, it, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder, um, you know, from a legal perspective to be able to, you know, kind of pick up that phone and do things in your car, right? Like we just, as of uh, last week, January 1st, uh, here in, in Ontario, it's now they've just like really raised the fines for, um, you know, you doing anything uh, other than driving your car now. Like, so it, like literally you can't even hold your phone. If, they, if you get caught like holding your phone in your car, it's like a thousand dollar fine now. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, anything like it, it's, it's crazy. Like they've got a whole list of things that are like no, no's, right. Other than like drinking a coffee, um, you know, so it, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, and so I think the more that you can just quickly tap something on a screen, uh, that's in the in-car navigation system, um, the more you sort of can kind of get around a lot of these things. Right. And I think the other aspect of it for me is, you know, is the connectivity piece that you talked about. So I just, I just got a new vehicle. My, my daughter still calls me an old man because I, I just got a Volvo. Um, it's a very nice Volvo. It's got all the latest bells and whistles and features. Um, and it comes packed with, you know, apps and, you know, CarPlay and connectivity and all this kind of stuff. And so that's one of the things that I think is really interesting that I'm looking forward to is, is that the fact that you can update the software and you can update the maps and you can update, you know, all these things because of that connectivity, right? Um, you know, as, as time goes on. So uh, you can download apps, you can do all kinds of things, right? So it's, it's interesting uh, that way. And I think it's in a lot of ways, um, 
you're going to see the in-car nav systems really move uh, to be, um, you know, almost second screen or replacements in, in a lot of cases for, you know, the, the one we carry in our pockets for some functions. Um, and I was talking over the holidays to a friend of mine um, who works for uh, BlackBerry. And yes, they're still around, um, you know, big, big Canadian company. Um, but they're not really in the phone business anymore. Uh, they're very, very profitable, you know, billion plus company uh, still. And most of that revenue is coming from in-car uh, software systems, right? That's that's their core focus nowadays. Um, and so there's a lot of movement going on in this space and that whole telematic space is really heating up. So I think this is a good story. I think it's good for Honda uh, and, and for, for the Philips 66 group to team up, so. There you go. All right. On to our second story. This is uh, an announcement as well, really around funding. Uh, so Location Sciences Group, which is a uh, UK-based ad tech uh, company, location data intelligence company, uh, they uh, have raised a bunch of money in the past, uh, and uh, they're out uh, doing uh, closing another round right now of 2.95 uh, million pounds. Um, and uh, and this is good because uh, you know we've been chatting with these guys a little bit. They're they're uh, a, a pretty major player in the UK, and I think a lot of this funding, um, you know, you'll see them you know find ways now to kind of expand into some international markets. You know, further develop the team and the products. You know, like like a lot of companies do. You know, when they kind of take on this this type of funding round. But uh, I'm excited for these guys. I think this is. Uh, this is a uh, you know a good injection of capital, um, and uh, look forward to uh, to kind of seeing what what they have to do with it. So uh, that's all I got to say about it. It's really just a, a funding <laughs> announcement. So yeah, so I don't really have a whole lot to comment on that. But you know, my question is kind of with this next story, like what is going to happen with the future and funding of these location businesses um, that we so love and, and appreciate when they're done um, and used responsibly and in the right way. Um, but what's interesting, remember that, that prediction that I had um, just a few weeks ago about um, pain and increased regulation and um, you know the, <laughs> the discussion we had at the end of the year, well, this is kind of the stuff I'm talking about. We've had um, Los Angeles um, City has, the city of Los Angeles, well, their, their attorney has filed a lawsuit against the Weather Channel. Um, so this is specifically um, against the weather company, you know, who is owned by IBM, uh, because they operate the Weather Channel app. And the reason they have done that is because they're saying that they have collected, um, you know, this location data, and they're not disclosing properly to the users and consumers of these apps what they're using the location data for. Obviously, they're using location data, um, you know, at first to show you the weather and where you are. Um, but that's not necessarily the money-making part of the, the location data. The money-making part of it is, you know, creating audiences and targeted advertising and all of the other things that they do through IBM and Watson and and all of that. So, um, you know, we've seen we've seen the New York Times expose that was pretty recent. We've seen the Facebook debacle. We had GDPR implemented last year, and then apparently, you know, at the first of this year, the the um, California Consumer Privacy Act was supposed to begin. Um, so I'm assuming it has begun and I haven't heard anything different, but, um, you know, this lawsuit is basically saying like, Hey, they are being deceptive and they're deceiving consumers. Um, so 
you know, I feel like the what what's really coming out of this is that apps have to more and more provide value to consumers, right? And maybe that's a monetary value, and it's not going to be the same that it, as it was. I just think that things are changing now, right? Where that location data is, um, especially like when it's really granular and it's good and it's pure um, location data, and and those data gurus out there know what I'm talking about. You know, then you are you have to provide something to the consumers that are giving that up. Um, you know, my question is, again, when you think about a Facebook or a weather, like what is the is the write-off worth it, right? So do I love looking at the weather so much that I'm willing to give up all of my location data um, that I know that they're able to monetize? Or do I, as a consumer, demand more? And I think that's really what, you know, the public is going to determine. It's not up to... Um, yeah, we could have more regulation. Yes, we can have you know federal guidelines that say what companies can and can't do, or how plain um, you know these privacy consent um, you know need to this, the privacy consent forms and everything need to be, and in layman's terms. But at the end of the day, you know, I think consumers are going to say like, hey, I'm willing to give it up just to be part of Facebook, or I'm willing to give it up just to get mm-hmm. my weather information every day. Um, so, you know, on one hand, as part of the data community, like, yeah, I want us to still continue to have access to that type of data because I know that we're looking at this data at scale. We're not looking at it as the New York Times expose did where they find that teacher that does this, 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 and this. I mean, I think is that is is the capability to do that with the data there? Sure, but I think that companies are responsible for the most part and they want to do good with it. Like, they want to say, Hey, we're looking at this in groups. Like we want to make um, advertising and and um, information and stories and content tailored to who you are as a person, right? And we do that in groups and audiences based upon your tendencies and behaviors, but not based upon you being a CFCon and you know having two children and this is you know your different affiliations and all of those things. But I think that um, you know sometimes one company can ruin it for everybody. And if you just continue to take advantage of that and you're not clear about what you're doing, then that's where it's going to be problematic. So really, you know, on the other on the other hand, I kind of hope that consumers stand up and say, no, like, you know, we're going to make a difference about this. Like, we're not going to allow, you know, we're not going to be back on, you know, the social media network until these changes are made. But that's something that the, that the public has to determine. So I know that was a long rant. I'm done. I'll turn it over no, to you. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, right, this this is, this is comes back to, you know, what we've been talking about for years, which is what is the value exchange for this data, right? And and can you properly uh, articulate that to the consumer that is using your service? Um, and, you know, in the case of the Weather, uh, you know, the Weather Channel's app, they do say in their consent that, uh, you know, they need to have your location in order to give you relevant you know, weather information that, that makes sense for you. What they don't say or what they didn't say uh, at the time, you know, was that uh, they were also going to be selling this data, you know, um, in aggregate. They're not, you know, to your point, like, I, I don't even, I don't think the weather company is sitting there going, let me try and track down, you know, Joe Smith, you know, at this address. Uh, they don't care about that. What they care about is groups of people um, and aggregates. Uh, and that's what the whole industry uh, has been focused on. I think these these articles like uh, in the New York Times, you know, take things and, you know, always look for the worst case scenario, uh, look for, you know, what could be done with this data, you know, whether it's been done or not, um, you know, uh, and what's what, what's the, you know, the, the most dire situation that we can come up with. Um, 
you know, and, and and that you know, and a lot of times that's that's what media does, right? To 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 kind of get eyeballs and get to, you know uh, people uh, you know watching their show or, or reading their paper or whatever it is. So, um, I mean, but like if you think about it, right? I think that people also blow this out of proportion because, like you said, I mean, what's the difference between kind of what we know now? Yes, we know where people are going, right? But also, I mean, if you're gonna kind of compared a little bit to where we were maybe 30 years ago what was that difference in saying like hey I got a rude phone call and I know that this person you know is from this area so I'm gonna look up their name in the phone book and I have their address now so I can show up at their house because it's there like yeah. it's published information so you know just I think that sometimes people forget that like this information has been around for a long time now we're just doing it more at scale um, and, and the reasons that we want to do it, yeah, to, to generate revenue, right? But also to, to create good consumer experiences and to make connections. Yeah, and the reality is we live in a capitalist system, right? I mean, at least in, in North America uh, and in most of the world, uh, you know, companies are trying to make money. Uh, and, you know, consumers are trying to make money, um, you know, as well. And I think if there's opportunities for them to participate in that ecosystem, that's that that could be an emerging uh, way to look at this but i think at the end of the day especially the challenge i have with this particular story is you know you're going after the weather channel like this isn't like you're going after some you know no name whatever uh thing like this people use the weather data like everybody needs weather data. like i need to know what the weather is today so i know what to wear and when i go downtown right like you know, at the end of the day, is the city of Los Angeles all going to sudden like start providing their own weather, uh, you know, uh, service for everybody in, in, in the city? Like, come on, like, you know what I mean? And how are they going to do that? Are they going to not collect data about people or, you know, do they not know where the people live? Do they, they, you know, who are in the city who pay taxes and what are they doing with that data? Are they not selling that to somebody? Let's check it out. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, like we, we could, we could take this argument and we could go all over the place with it and we could find the worst case scenario, uh, for, for every, every party involved instead of looking at, you know, here are the benefits and here's what the industry is getting from this data. Uh, and yes, let's do it responsibly and let's do it with consent and let's inform people what we're doing. That's all that needs to happen, but let's keep doing it because I think it's, uh, it's valuable. That's I it. That's all I got to say. So there's my rant on it, too. So, all right. That's our three industry news stories for this week. Uh, we'll shift over now and talk a little bit about what some of the members have been up to. And we'll start with uh, the Mall of America. Yes, we've been talking about these guys a lot because they're doing a lot. Um, and so they, over the holiday season, they launched a shopping hologram uh, in partnership with a company called Vintana. Uh, it's just V-N-T-A-N-A. -A. There's no I in there. Uh, it's a mixed reality company and they teamed up with Mall of America to launch the first ever shopping hologram concierge service. Um, so basically it's bringing, uh, you know, it's called Ellie is the name of it. E-L-L-I-E. -L -L -E. It's a shopping hologram and you can ask Ellie for gift advice and other shopping information. You can ask Ellie for, um, you know, recommendations for your teen or for your husband uh, or for whatever the case might be uh, that you're looking for and, and just get help. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Um, I think it's, you know, it's interesting and, and it's um, what they've done, which is really cool. This Vintana company is, it's a software platform that sits behind the hologram piece 
and it lets you connect to any existing chatbot platform that that you may be already using. So it, it can plug into Microsoft Azure and Amazon Alexa and Watson and Satisfy Labs and a whole bunch of other things. So I like that sort of th that they've kind of taken that approach and let you sort of plug and play with uh, you know whatever chatbot you want to use behind the scenes. So I think this is cool. I think it's fun. I think it's um, especially at the holidays when you've got lots of people shopping and going to malls and looking for things and um, you know, Everybody's busy. Talk to a hologram. Ask Ellie. There you go. Um, you know, what I like about this story, honestly, is that Mall of America is always trying new things. I mean, they're huge. So they've got, um, you know, they've they've got the the pockets and the and the retail space, the retailers and the real estate space to be able to do all these cool, exciting things that they're always trying. So um, I like that they're trying something new. And I agree. Like, I think the holidays is a perfect time to try something like this. Um, I don't know if it's something that's going to stick around long term, um, but I also love from a software perspective that it is something that you can, you know, sync up with whichever chatbot you want to. Um, I think that's a good, you know, developing and building um, and planning on on uh, Ventive uh, behalf. But, you know, I think that it's just good to keep trying things, right? Like people are going to keep coming back to a mall if they're in the area because that's maybe where they shop. But, you know, providing these types of experiences, I think makes it more of like an attraction versus just a shopping, um, a shopping trip. So I think mall of America does a really good job on that. There you go. So sticking with kind of the shopping thing, um, we're going to move over to Kroger and I really like this story. This is pretty cool, but they're currently testing automated cars, um, for delivery services. So, um, they they have these unmanned deliveries that are happening in Arizona in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is right outside Phoenix. It's like the Beverly Hills of, of, uh, Arizona, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and, um, so they're doing this in partnership with a Silicon Valley company, um, startup called Neuro, which I believe we've talked about before. Yeah. So they're doing these autonomous deliveries and they started a pilot back in August, but obviously it is going well because now they're kind of, you know, rolling this out in Scottsdale. Um, as a whole. So it's called R1. It's Neuro's R1 and it uses public roads. It is driverless. So it's autonomous driverless. It only transports goods. So there's no people or anything in there. Um, and it's available right now to Fry's food stores. So it's like $5 and 95 cents um, fee for the delivery. And there's no minimum order quantity or um, anything like that. And it's available for same day or next day delivery, which is really great. Um, you know, we've seen these types of trends going on, like with Walmart testing delivery with, um, I think it was like Postmates or something. And, and then you've got, you know, Amazon always doing different delivery services and Amazon is like a lifesaver for me. I think it's great what they do, but I definitely think that there's not one way of doing it and there's not just one service, right? So, um, Kroger definitely is more, you know, I think on the grocery side of things. And, and I think that their perspective is going to be different than Amazon's who just now moved in to the grocery side of things like with Whole Foods and, and, um, you know, some of their, their Amazon fresh stuff. But, you know, I think that that experience, so having kind of two different perspectives going from online to offline or offline to online are going to be different. And so it's just going to be interesting to continue to watch how these companies do things differently and how they deliver these things. And, um, you know, what is the consumer experience? I'd love to try it out. So if they come here to Atlanta, you know, I'll be definitely one of the first to try it out. But, you know, I feel like th in this specific area, it's like the race is on, right? 
who's going to do it best, who's going to do it first, who's going to do it differently. Um, and I think that's the exciting, the really exciting part about uh, this industry in this particular area of the market right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, as you say, there's a lot of people playing around with delivery services right now. I mean, last week we talked about Starbucks and Uber, uh, you know, running experiments, which, you know, I, I, I'm still not sure where that's going to go. But, you, you know, I think if you're going to do autonomous vehicles uh, from a delivery perspective, at least in the near term, I think looking at it where it's driverless, where there's uh, you know, there's no people in there, where you know it's short runs, it's um, you know uh, in in areas that maybe don't have you know mass uh, traffic, you know kind of scenarios like we have. I don't know. I mean, Scottsdale sounds like as good a place as any to test something like this. So, you know, and Kroger is one of those companies where um, they are very much at the forefront of innovation and technology. Like they, they, you know, they try a lot of things. They, they, they're constantly experimenting. Uh, and so I applaud them for that and for looking, you know, at this, you know, I, I wonder, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you, you remember a little while ago we talked about the Ronera app, uh, mm -hmm. the, the thing that Target had invested came out of the, the accelerator program there, uh, where people could say, "Hey, I'm going to Target, um, you know, to pick up some stuff, and I live in your, you know, on your street or in your neighborhood, and you could actually see that and, and request they pick up some stuff for you." I'd like to see that kind of thing, you know, also kind of playing into this, right? Like uh, some combination of sort of real time last minute um you know i need this now um kind of thing and uh, you know a blend of autonomous vehicle for the delivery side of it and a real time sort of you know I, somebody's going there or there's a run coming from you know point a to my neighborhood add this into it um so i think that kind of thing i could see really accelerating uh you know revenue for uh companies like kroger um or target or anybody like that so um but i like this story and, and i like that they're always willing to try cool stuff i think you bring up a good point there though because you know and i hate to go back i, I feel like kind of my overlying theme for this <laughs> show is kind of like the old and the new right contrasting yeah. and comparing that there's similarities but there's differences right and if you think about the old way of doing things where you had somebody that delivered milk, you know, at a certain time every, you know, day or every week, um, a day of the week, you know, every week to your home, or you had somebody um, that used like the fruit cart, right, that that comes around. Yeah. I mean, I think about I think about my um, my husband's grandmother, you know, who lives in Dominican Republic and and the fruit and vegetable cart is out there every morning at like 8 a.m. and you get what you need for the day. But you know that it's going to be there. Um, and there's no technology whatsoever in either of those concepts, but this is almost bringing it to there. So if you could say like, hey, I know that this is going to be here at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning in my neighborhood and I can just add a bag to that that's cart. Right. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And I think that makes a better experience as well because you know it's going to be there. And if for some reason nobody adds something to that cart for that day, then it just doesn't come. You know, it's not like it's wasted a wasted trip. Um, so I think that it does make sense. And I think that you could also make it a little bit more economical where you have something like a prime membership or whatever it is and you just kind of pay for that. So I love that way of thinking. Yeah, it's um, almost like in a lot of ways, I mean, you know, we have, I don't know what, what you guys have uh, where, where you are in in, in uh, Atlanta area there, but like here um, they've moved like all of our mail delivery, our postal delivery 
to these community boxes now, right? So uh, we don't have door-to-door service anymore. We haven't had it for many years. But you on the street, there's, you know, at sort of the, the foot of the street where you enter, there's like this big community box and everybody's got a, like a slot in there with a key and all your mail's put in there. And the, the mailman just goes there with his truck and fills all, you know, all, all the slots and, and away you go. And I could see something like that you know, where you've got, you know, maybe bigger, bigger, uh, containers, uh, there, uh, where, you know, your groceries are getting shoved in there or, or things like that as well. Like, you know, for, for the day or for, you know, whatever. And if you've already got, you know, people scheduled, like whether that's the postal, uh, service company, or you've got, you know, the garbage collection people coming, you know, every Thursday or whatever it is, like People are tuned their, you know, like we all tune our schedules, right? To either go pick that up on the way home for if it's mail or make sure we've got the garbage out at the right time, you know, for pickup and all those kinds of things, right? And and I'm, I'm completely with you. I think that, you know, if you're in this grocery space and you're looking at delivery and you're looking at all the options right now, you need to think about, you know, how do you sort of add to basket, add to, um, you know, the, the route that's going out there, Um uh, and, and let people participate in that. So that's it. All right. Final story. Final story. So all of that said, we need a beer now because, you know, it's <laughs> we've rented a lot. So let's talk about Heineken. Um, and this is a really cool, this is a case study um, uh, about a very successful <laughs> geotargeting campaign uh, that they did in the UK uh, in partnership with Star Pubs and Bars, which is a huge uh, chain uh, of outlets, uh, some over 1300 outlets, uh, bars basically across the UK. And, and like these guys have like massive reach. I mean, I've been to some of these places when I've been in the UK and not knowing that they're part of this like huge group. Um, but it's really interesting. Like they said, where did I read in here? They have, they said, uh, the foot, their footprint for Heineken, uh, Heineken alone, uh, so not quite the, the, the same footprint, but uh, Star Pubs and Bars has 2,900 outlets nationwide across the UK. Heineken, they said, is uh, available uh, within a um, 15-minute walk of over 4 million Brits uh, in the UK. Like, 15, 4 million people in the UK can walk 15 minutes and get to a pub where they can consume Heineken. Like, that's pretty cool. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, your potential. So anyhow, all that being said, they did a pretty successful geotargeting campaign uh, across 1,325 outlets. Um, it was a blend of social, digital, uh, and digital out-of-home uh, advertising, uh, promoting Amstel, Fosters, and Strongbow. Uh, they said that they, uh, this campaign, it was all like, so a combination of ge- digital geotargeting, uh, strategically placed billboard, uh, out of home advertising, um, and, uh, and social media posts as well. They said that, uh, the results of this campaign, they sold over 125,000 pints that they can directly attribute to this, equating to 370,000, uh, uh, pounds, um, dollars, um, uh, sold in revenue. Uh, at the test pubs, uh, so they said that for every uh, dollar that they spent, basically on this campaign, it resulted in five dollars and seventy cents uh, in return. So that that that's a pretty significant return on investment, uh, and it really speaks highly to what you can do when you 
use geo uh, and location data and, and advertising placement in the right way. Um, and they said in the six weeks following the launch, uh, they sold an additional 95 pints per outlet uh, times the 1,325 outlets. So that's, I mean, massive numbers, right? Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so I mean, I don't need to say more than that, right? I mean, I think this is, uh, it just speaks to the power when you do these kinds of things correctly and you have scale uh, like they do here, um, you know, you can get good results. Yep, I totally agree with all of that. And I think what's really exciting about this is we always talk about, um, you know, we, we'll have like announcements or we'll talk about a story or what people are doing, but we're always saying like, I'd love to see the numbers or the efficacy of that. And here they put them out there. So I love that this was measurable. Um, and that they saw a lift and it proves that it works because I think that one of the things I struggle with um, you know being in this community is is always wondering as well like okay you could do all this but how do you know that it actually works I mean we believe that it works we believe that you know the data does have a big impact but whenever you see these types of studies done and they're measurable and they're attributable then you're like okay this is totally working and they did it in a successful way they did it um, where they definitely achieved their objectives, and I love that. So um, these are the types of stories I like to hear about, and I think Heineken did an awesome job with this. Uh, was there an agency that they worked with to do this? Or? I, I didn't see one mentioned in the um, okay. in the piece, so uh, I'm sure that they did. Um, and they said the interesting thing is, is based on the success of this, they said that uh, for for next year, like for, for well this year, I guess 2019, they're planning to invest an additional one million pounds. Uh, on doing other geotargeting campaigns like this uh, with star pubs and bars uh, this year, so that's huge, right? I mean, that's a massive, you know, endorsement, right? To yeah, um, you know, doing this type of campaign. So, yeah, I didn't see one. Um, what's interesting too, like just a quick sidebar. So when I was over in Europe just before the holidays, I stopped into uh, Facebook headquarters in uh, in Amsterdam, which is the headquarters for the Benelux uh, region for Facebook. Um, and I sat down with uh, a guy named Mark Van Rossum, who's a senior uh, director there at Facebook now. Prior to that, he was the head of digital for Heineken, which is a Dutch company based in Amsterdam. And, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, the, you know, them doing exactly these types of campaigns and how Heineken, you know, there's always been a willingness uh, with that brand to do this type of geotargeting and this type of experiment. And historically, it's been much more, um, let's call it, uh, you know, let's do something fun and engaging uh, and and less so on the measurement of actual sales. Um, but obviously, they, you know, they've progressed and, and matured to, to that point now where, you know, they can actually measure and they can actually get real uh, good campaign results from things like this. So, um, yeah, good on them. So Awesome. Awesome. So that's our show for this week. You've been listening to episode number 397 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Uh, of course, we'll be back next week. Uh, if you are at CES this week, uh, reach out to Abriana, and I'm sure she would love to uh, meet you in person. Uh, and if you are in New York next week uh, for the NRF's big show, uh, Karsten, my colleague uh, from Europe, will be over there. Um, and uh, on the 15th of January, we're running a retail tour, uh, visiting the new Nike uh, flagship store in New York and a number of other places. Uh, so you can kind of uh, check that out. If you want to get involved, reach out to myself and let me know. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's our show for this week. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.